Hello, my name is Celine Yaffe and welcome to Talk Law Podcast, a law podcast for anyone interested in learning the truth about what being a lawyer is like. Joining me for this episode is former juvenile court lawyer Jude Kassar. Uh, she is wonderful. She's an amazing person. Um, Jude, would you like to give a little introduction in your law background? Sure. Um, so I, um, for the bulk of my legal career, um, I was in juvenile dependency, um, which is basically when the state takes custody of children due to the parents' um, behavior, as opposed to like the kids do something wrong, that's juvenile delinquency. Um, that's treated like kind of like criminal court. Juvenile dependency court is when the parents are not acting in ways that are safe um, for the children. So the state comes in, takes custody of the children. Um, and I mostly represented parents um, in that system. So the parents who are trying to get their kids back um, and, and the state kind of gives them opportunities to do that within a legal framework. Um, and so I, I would represent most of the time parents in that system. That is so fascinating. I've never really like uh, like delved deep into that part of law. So that's super interesting to hear about. Right. Um, where did you get your law education and how do you think schooling help or like did not really help you in long term? Yeah, this is gonna be, this is a sticky one. Uh, <laughs> not to disparage law school in any respect. Um, I got my law degree from the Ohio State University uh, in Columbus, Ohio. And um, I kind of found law school to be a bit of a nightmare. It was not really my jam. Um, I didn't find that I was like the other law students. I didn't want a corporate career. Um, I didn't want to work 90 hours a week and make a ton of money. That just wasn't my bag. Um, and in fact, my family was all very puzzled by my decision to go into law. And it wasn't until I kind of got situated in my career and they were like, oh, you're like a social worker, but with a law degree arguing in court. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. And they were like, okay, that makes sense now. Cause that was kind of, I was always really interested in helping people. Um, but you know, a lot of law school is, is not really geared towards that. Yeah. Um, I was really privileged to take part in a couple legal clinics um, while I was in law school. So I got to actually represent people and be in court and stuff as a kind of upperclassman, um, which really was a saving grace for me um, because it turned out that I really loved that part of law. Um, I loved being in court and I loved helping people, which is kind of the reason I went into it in the first place. So I was in a, in a legal clinic for tenants um, students at the Ohio State University because it's a it's like a 60,000 person school so there's always a lot of renters and they have trouble with their landlords and they can't afford to get an attorney um, and so we would provide free legal services for the student tenants and so we got to um, that was really really fulfilling for me I mean I just got really a hands-on like feel for working in a small practice on the side of the little guy, you know, the day-to-day -day, like grind of that, you know, it's not yeah. very glamorous, um, but it's, it's really rewarding because you're helping people out of a really unhappy situation. You know, whatever the, whatever the situation is, whether they're being sued by their landlord or whether they, you know, whether the landlord won't fix 
something in their apartment. It's, you know, it could be as simple as writing a letter for someone, but it, it felt really empowering. Yeah, that sounds super interesting. Like, and it, that's awesome that you got that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also did a, like a juvenile law clinic, which was also amazing and really solidified um, my interest. I had kind of been in education prior to going to law school. And so definitely the idea of like working in some kind of juvenile capacity was out there. And this really, um, this was just so rewarding. I actually represented kids in delinquency proceedings. So like I said, that's like when the kid has committed what would be a crime if they were an adult. Um, So like if you were to go out and steal something you wouldn't be tried in adult court, you'd be tried in juvenile court and you'd get, same as a, an adult defendant, you would get a lawyer appointed to you um, mm-hmm. if you couldn't afford one. Um, and so that was me in law school. And it, you know, that was definitely something that I really enjoyed, it was also very, just very fulfilling. Yeah, of course. I mean, it definitely sounds, that sounds incredibly interesting and like having the opportunity. Yeah, um, I would definitely say as advice for future law students, um, <laughs> you will find your people. If you don't feel like the people are the people around you, it's okay. There will be other lawyers that are like you and, and look for the clinics because that is really the like boots on the ground experience that will help you in a real life career um, you know, down the road. There are corporate lawyers and lawyers who spend a lot of time in offices doing, you know, uh, corporate law or finances or contracts or whatever. Um, and I think law school probably does a pretty good job preparing you for that, but for the, the solo practitioner or the person in, you know, the criminal defense attorney or the, small firm, you know, landlord tenant law, it doesn't necessarily prepare you for that kind of, which I think most lawyers end up doing the kind of small time work um, that, you know, that really is just the bread and butter of like the regular attorney. Um, And I think the clinics really prepare you for that. Yeah, actually, that's perfect because you just answered the question that I was going to ask later. But what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue your career path, well, which you just answered? Uh, how did you choose your specific type of law that you pra- practiced? Well, like I said, I had always been interested in juvenile. Mm-hmm. And my first real job after passing the bar was as a criminal defense attorney. Um, but luckily, the firm I was working in um, and the way that Oregon happens to do it is there's not, um, it's, it's kind of a weird like public defense system. So basically the state contracts with firms. So the firm was a for-profit firm, but there were certain attorneys that were doing a public defense caseload. Basically I was a public defender. It was people who couldn't afford attorneys would get appointed me or one of my, my peers. Um, uh, and so I started doing criminal and then the firm had a little bit of a juvenile contract. And so I would do a little juvie and I loved it. And so eventually I just wanted to do more and more, more and more juvie. And a lot of people, it's not a lot of people's thing yeah. um, because it's, it's a little more touchy feely than criminal court. It's a little more um, goal oriented rather than, you know, uh, winners and losers. Um, it's a little more collaborative. Um, and so a lot of people like kind of aren't interested in it as much. 
Um, and it's it's got zero prestige. So there's that. If that's something that is important to you, that juvenile court is not the place for you. Um, big egos don't tend to do well in juvie. And uh, and so people weren't super interested in it. So eventually I'm, I'm, I was able to make my whole caseload juvenile caseload. And that's how I settled into what I loved. That, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, that you got to try different things and that. Yeah. Yeah. What you liked. Um, how, uh, what were some things that made it hard to pursue law as a career or at least a short-term career? What, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, the bar exam is difficult to do, but I don't think, I don't see law school as like any more difficult than like other grad schools around. I mean, I don't think it was certainly if you intend to work 90 hours a week, you know, you're kind of going to do that. There are games that people play and there are definitely, so that was like a barrier feeling like I wasn't in the right place or I didn't fit in um, because I wasn't, you know, I don't know, laminating my outlines and showering with them so that I could study for tests at all possible moments. That's just not my style. Um, I prefer my showers to be constitutional law outline free. Um, and so I, uh, so I think that was a real barrier because that was kind of a point where I was almost like, forget it, it's not worth it. I don't want to do this. Um, but once I got out, it, it was so clear that there were so many avenues open. Um, it was hard for me initially to get a job because I went to school out of state. Um, and even though I worked really hard in school and got really good grades, I came here and they were like, well, what's your Oregon experience? And I was like, well, I, I just came from Ohio like a minute ago, but I graduated cum laude, you know? And they'd be like, yeah, that doesn't really mean anything from the Ohio State University because like it wasn't Oregon. And so that was really hard to break in. There were a lot of, a lot of closed doors. I didn't have any connections. I didn't, you know, a lot of people make connections in law school and stuff. And since my law school was in Ohio, there weren't, there weren't Oregon connections that I had made. Um, so that was, that was a barrier as well. But then once I got in, it was, you know, really grueling, but rewarding. Um, one thing that made it difficult, I, I stopped practicing juvenile law when I, right before I had my first kid and I haven't gone back to it. Um, yeah. I was in court every day um, from, you know, whenever hearings started at 8 a.m., frequently till 5 p.m. And, and so it wasn't, wasn't super flexible. Um, and so if you don't have like childcare backup or if you don't have, um, you know, and I, I bet things have changed in the intervening 14 years since I've been doing it. Um, but at the time there were a couple people job sharing but mostly it was just people working full time really at the, at the pleasure of the court. And so, you know, you can't call up a judge five minutes before a hearing and be like, judge, my kid just threw up, I'm not coming in today. Like, that's not how court works. Um, and so I didn't really see a way forward with that, with small children, with no childcare. Um, that really didn't seem like an option to me. Um, and in retrospect, I wish that sooner I had kind of gone back or I had tried to work something out because now it's been a really long time and I'm really out of it. Um, and so I've done some stuff in the interim. As you know, I've done some education stuff and I've also done some elder law 
um, which is office-based. Very little of it is court-based. So I did get to go into court a little bit, but not, it wasn't an everyday thing. It was definitely like a, I could work when the kids were sleeping or I could work when the kid, you know, and I could meet with clients while they were at preschool or whatever. Um, and so that was, that was something that I kind of was able to work with as a young mother, but um, I would love to go back into the courtroom now that they're older and they don't need me um, 24 seven, they can make their own peanut butter sandwiches now. Um, <laughs> Cause I don't know if it's talked about as much in law spaces that like, like, or it is, but in a way that it's like either kids or your job and like, which sucks. And I think that you should definitely go back into law, especially cause it does seem like at least when you're talking about it, it's something that you're very passionate about. So it's definitely something that I'm very passionate about. I hope that you can go back soon. Thank you. Um, I would love to do that. When you were younger, what made you want to pursue something in law? Like what, what sparked your interest or is it not, or can you not really pinpoint something? I, I, I didn't really, I didn't really want to, that was not, a, <laughs> was not even a idea for me mm -hmm. um, until as I was, kind of finishing up college. Um, I had a good friend who was going to law school and I was kind of pestering him about it. And he's like, well, I'm gonna go for this reason. I'm gonna go, and I was like, oh yeah, that sounds good. And then the reality was I was graduating, this is terrible, but I was graduating with a liberal arts degree, a double degree in Hebrew and women's studies. And there's not a huge career path that like immediately opens up to you. There's nothing obvious that you do with degrees in Hebrew and women's studies, um, aside from become a Hebrew professor, which I, I did not want to do. And um, so I was kind of like found myself at loose ends. Uh, I taught preschool for a little bit and then I was kind of like, all right, I'll get the show on the road and, and kind of found myself in law school. Um, my husband was in medical school at the time. So it was just a really easy dovetail to be like, and now we do our professional schools and, <laughs> and, and then we graduate and then we're professionals. And so Very that, romantic, isn't it? Yeah. There's nothing like a young couple just studying together 24 seven. So cute. So beautiful. <laughs> um, well, I mean, that is actually really interesting to hear like I mean that I mean at least you found your passion when you did go to totally law. totally um what has been the most interesting or like your favorite case you've done or just a moment in your career you appreciate that could be two separate questions too yeah um you know there's been a lot of you know in in juvenile court on the parent side there was really it wasn't so much the amazing legal arguments I was making. It doesn't really matter what kind of legal argument the attorney makes, like as much as, much as you have to be a competent attorney, it really wasn't up to me how the cases went, right? Mm -hmm. Like it was up to the parents to see, are they gonna get drug treatment? Are they going to get, you know, anger management? Are they going to go through what they have to go through to become adequate parents? Um, and so as often as I was a legal advocate for people in court, I was also out of court kind of a facilitator of like, go do this. Like, you know, and, and for a lot of my clients, um, you know, I think my mother especially was, you know, typical Jewish mom. She was very 
she was like, why are you, why are you working for the drug addicts and the child abusers? Like, why don't you work for the kids? Um, and I always said, and I stand by this. I mean, first of all, everyone needs a lawyer to make the system work. Um, those parents deserve legal representation, regardless of if they're bad human beings or not, they still deserve legal representation in our system. And, um, and in fact, under Oregon law, they have a right to that. And um, additionally, I, I found almost none of my clients were bad people. Every so often you'd come across someone and be like, you're a real jerk. Like you are just not, you know, I will fight for you because that's what I have to do, but you're not a good person and you're not going to get your kids back, frankly, you know, which I wouldn't say to them, but I think it. Um, but again, like there was nothing I could tell the judge that would make them into an awesome person. Like, yeah. like I could argue all I want and the judge would be like, yeah, this parent's a total jerk, not happening. Um, that's a, that's a legal term, total jerk. Oh um, yeah. There's, yeah. <laughs> I hear it all the time in the court shows. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. That, that one's big. Um, but so most of the time, my, that was not my client. My clients were all of them indigent, like poor, many of them drug and alcohol addiction, many of them mental health issues. Most of them both, um, you know, they were battling against poverty. They were battling against their mental health issues. They were battling against drug addiction. They were battling to try to like, like economically hold their families together um, and, and, and kind of failing epically in most cases, but it didn't change that they were like pretty good people in bad circumstances. And yes, they had created some of those circumstances for themselves, but, but you know, once one of those pieces comes into play, it, it does start crumbling very quickly. You know, if you are, um, you know, very, very poor and you have mental health issues, you can't seek out treatment. First of all, you can't get time off from whatever very low paying job that you've managed to get to go get mental health treatment. You can't afford the mental health treatment when you go get it. You have no health insurance. You have no, um, and so, and so then you've got, so then you self-medicate and then you end up with addiction issues. And then, you know, it's just this kind of snowball effect. And then of course, eventually with all these balls in the air, you are neglecting your children. Um, at least these people are, I, I am not. Um, but, uh, and so like you see how these people get into these situations, they're born into poverty and their own parents have mental health and drug addiction and you know, it just kind of, it's just a train wreck waiting to happen. Should they have had kids? Probably not. You know, they probably can't handle it, but they did have kids. Um, and they have a right to fight for their family's reunification. And, um, and it's actually been shown that, uh, uh, you know, kids, sorry, this is totally my soapbox. I realize I'm way off the way off oh no it's uh, this is fascinating like <laughs> it is very interesting to hear about this especially because 14 years ago there were not as many like mental health and like alcohol addiction outlets as there are now sure yeah and that's changing all the time and um you know and still i still think that for these people they're they're not going to take advantage of that for whatever reason um 
either cultural or time or or whatever you know so there there was some abuse situations but most of the time it was neglect and the neglect was caused by the parents focus on other things not in an okay way not in a good way but in a kind of understandable way given their circumstances and for many of those people i was the first person who was in their corner who would stand up publicly and argue in their favor and yeah, I did it because it was my job, not because I like believed that they were awesome parents, but just having someone be your advocate is really powerful. And a lot of them really felt um, that, that that was something that, that changed the dynamics for them, changed the equation for them. It wasn't the world against them. They had me in their corner. Um, and so that was super fulfilling for me. I mean, obviously my hope would have been that every single parent was able to like get their act together and get their kids back. And that was not the case. So a lot of juvenile, a lot of juvenile court is sad. And a lot of juvenile court, if you're a parent's attorney is losing. Um, and it doesn't matter what you argue. If the parent's not doing the work or not able to do the work, you're losing. Um, you know, you're, you're not getting reunification for your client. Um, so it's not about wins in court for me, but it was definitely about like just the, just going to bat for people who had never had someone go to bat for them. Yeah. Um, and that was really powerful. Um, even if sometimes I would say, end up saying really ridiculous things to the judge, like, yeah, he's back in jail, but judge, he hasn't done drugs the whole time he's been there. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel here for compliments, but you know, it's- It's something. I'd put a positive spin on it. Um, and, and you know, as an attorney, of course, I like winning. I like having an argument that convinces the judge of my, you know, of my client's side. Um, that is really fun. But, it, you know, it's just kind of not, you, that's not what your life is gonna be like in juvie as a parent's attorney. Yeah. It's just not. And even if you're a state's attorney and you're arguing for the separation of the family, the permanent separation of the family, um, which I also did a lot of those cases which are called termination of parental rights and it's it's when they permanently sever the parental bond legally so that the child is free for adoption. Um, you know, so if you're a state's attorney and you're fighting for that, even that is a little heartbreaking. I mean, to fight for the, you know, to fight for the best interest of the child ends up tearing the family permanently apart. You know, that's hard. It's, it's like, you know, it's a win, but it, it's it's a hard fought one. It, it's it's not it's not like a yes, I did it. Like I'm amazing because you're looking at this parent who's devastated, who has lost all permanent rights to their child. Um, that's stateside. If, if if you're a defense side like me, you're trying to console the parent who has lost all permanent rights. Having said that, I won one of those trials once. <laughs> And it was amazing. <laughs> I love that you're <laughs> well, I'm very proud of you. We all <laughs> oh, thanks, thanks. You know, 
I'm not sure. I, I'd, I'd be very interested to see like what happened to that client after she was reunified with her son. I hope beyond hope that she did really well and that she was able to handle parenting him and that she gave him a good home. Um, but the win felt really, really darn good. <laughs> Spoken <laughs> like a true lawyer. <laughs> totally, totally. There's a little bit of that in me where the judge, when the judge sides with me, I'm just like, oh my God, that just happened. Yes. Best lawyer ever. <laughs> definitely rewards and there are definitely some uh, sad stuff in there, but that is actually very interesting. Um, what would you change or like have done differently if you could go back? Or, no, or nothing. I mean, it's so hard to say, like, so hard to say. I would have stressed less in law school. I would have trusted that I would find my place and just put my head down and done what I needed to do without letting all the craziness get to me because it was really toxic for me. Um, and so I, I definitely would have relaxed a little bit. Um, it felt like if you didn't, if you, if you relaxed, you were giving up and that was it. Like you were never going to be a successful lawyer. And, you know, there were so many people telling me, if you don't, if you don't do this extracurricular, this extracurricular, you don't write onto law review, or you don't get an internship at this firm or that firm, you'll never make it. And those things are not true. Um, and so I wish I'd had faith in myself that like, I would find a way. Um, and then, like I said, I wish, I wish I'd kind of carved out a way to keep my, keep my toes in the water, so to speak, uh, after I had kids, um, because getting back to it is really challenging. Um, and so, um, you know, even when I was doing elder law, like learning a new kind of law in my forties was challenging like all all you know as you get older your brain is not as uh, elastic and like sponge-like as it was in your 20s and all of a sudden I was like oh god this just isn't making sense and <laughs> like it was hard um and so uh so I would have done something to keep keep things going a little bit um rather than just pulling back yeah but thank you thank you so much for being here. And so here are some questions so that anybody listening can get to know the real Drew Kessar a little bit better. So who's your favorite musician or like band? Oh, gosh. Oh, these are surprises. I think I have to say, I have to say Bob Marley. Really? Yeah, he's just so like everything he ever did is just infused with this joy that even when he was talking about like really terrible things, which a lot of his songs are about really terrible things. Mm -hmm. um, there was just this, the, the rhythm and the, you know, the reggae beat and the joy and the, it just, it just brings a smile to my face. I have <laughs> never guessed you like- I love me some reggae. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just never would have guessed that. What would um, you have guessed for me? Like the Beatles? Oh my God, yes. Really, you like the beat? I have a Beatles, yes. Beatles poster back there somewhere. But um, um, yes, that is also an excellent guess because I know this is true, true trivia fact here. I know all the lyrics to pretty much every single Beatles song ever written. Oh, oh, so I guessed well. You guessed well. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm no stranger to the Beatles. <laughs> um, what is your favorite movie? 
Princess Bride. Real? I've never. I refuse to watch it. What? Come on. I just feel like I don't know. I feel like it's just not a real princess. Like I just can't. Is it good? It's my favorite movie. Um, it is so good and hilarious, and every single line in that movie is quote worthy. I have been adoring it since I think 1987, which is I believe when it came out. That summer, my like bestie got it on VHS, which is. You know, shows how old I am <laughs> and um we sat we watched that movie I think like 12 or 13 times I and I've seen it a hundred times since it's so classic it's so good I I guess I have to I I must now as as part of my research like, for this like how can you even function in society really without that now I feel bad okay I, I guess I didn't think I'd come here watch as part of my research for this podcast <laughs> I will watch a princess bride okay. okay and what is your favorite tv show and also what is your favorite law tv show like have you ever watched a law tv show and been like oh wow like this is accurate or no I'm trying to think I you know I'm not a big tv person mm-hmm. So that is hard. I just watched all of Brooklyn Nine-Nine with my kids. So good. And that was funny. Um, favorite TV show. I mean, I just watched Top Chef Oregon. It was awesome. <laughs> I'll watch anything about food, pretty much. I'm kind of obsessed, so. Yeah, I, I had a cooking show phase for like a couple of years, right? Mm-hmm. Only watch cooking shows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely into that. Um, favorite law show. Trying to even think of some. I'm thinking of like old ones, but yeah, I, I didn't really get into any of them. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just wondering because I feel like people who are younger, the way that they get into law, unlike just being like, oh, let's go to law school, is, is like watching like <laughs> law shows. And I was wondering if there are any that you think are specifically accurate or not. But if you haven't seen any, that's completely fine. Yeah, sorry. No, no, don't apologize. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. It was great talking to you about your previous work. And I'm very grateful you took time to talk to me about it. Oh my God, I was so honored. Thank you so much for thinking of me. Of course. Again, thank you so much to Jude Kassar for this really interesting episode. It will be out on Apple Music, Spotify, and Amazon Podcasts. And if you or anyone you know would like to be here for an episode, shoot us an email or connect with us through Instagram at Podcast. Thank you.